I'll be really honest. It's been a morning. Can we take a, I don't usually like just pray. Before, I usually just like jump in. So can we take a moment to pray before the sermon? Is that all right? Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you for today and thank you for your blessings. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live each day uh, as a gift from you, as a, a stewardship from you. And we pray, Lord, that uh, uh, when times are, are not as easy as you would like for them to be or you know, when uh, things don't go the way that you had hoped, uh, that, uh, that you would help us to continue to live with, with the joy that you give us, that there's something bigger than the little sufferings that we have in this life and that you would help us to live in light of the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've been thinking a lot about confirmation, and confirmation is one of the reasons my morning is not going great. Um, we're doing in-person confirmation starting today, which is great. I'm happy about that. Be really clear about it. Uh, I, I don't like recording things all the time. Um, but uh, we've had to do a lot to get to where we could meet in person. And uh, um, the technology has been quite the, uh, quite the learning curve. And um, um, there's been a lot to, uh, to overcome uh, this week. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I was wrestling with the, uh, the technology downstairs. Jeremy was helping me, and uh, um, Gordon helped me earlier in the week. And, and I, think, I think it's going to work. So you can pray about that uh, at 9.30 when the class starts. Pray that it works. Um, but, um, but I've been thinking about more than just my own little, you know, experience of confirmation in 611. I've been actually thinking about those vows that we took when we got confirmed. Those questions that the pastor asked us when, you know, we wore white robes, if you were, you know, confirmed as a, as a kid, you know, standing in front of the altar. And there's one question in particular that just really over and over again runs through my mind and has been running through my mind a lot recently. And it's the one that says this. Do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? That is an intense question. That's a, that's a big question. It's a hard question. It's hard to wrap our minds around it. You know, to suffer all? To suffer even death? And let's think about that. What do we even suffer in our culture? I mean, yeah, okay, you know, we get older, our bodies kind of hurt a little bit, you know, and we have some of those kinds of things uh, going on in our lives. But really, what do, we, what do we suffer? And I fear that this question reveals something about how we live our faith life. And, and I fear that what it reveals is that maybe, maybe we're a little bit soft. Because when it comes down to it, what do, what do we have to sacrifice? I had a good friend in my church in Michigan who, uh, he was an economist. And every year at stewardship time, he would tell me, I'm wasting my time. 
Because people are going to give from their overabundance. They're not going to sacrifice. It's like, uh, that's, that's an interesting, uh, interesting thought. I hope you're, 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 you're wrong about that. Because, you know, in the heart of our relationship, you know, with God, are some things worth sacrificing? Are some things worth absolutely giving up? And I was thinking about... Um, a story I heard at the last pastor's conference I went to last October, because the one this October is canceled, um, a guy by the name of Ted Kober, who is in charge of a ministry that's called um, the Ambassadors of Reconciliation. And he was telling us about a mission trip that he took to India. And as they would go to India, you would see people doing just really menial labor on the roadside. And as he was talking with his guide about this, you know, he said that basically, you know, these people, you know, the work that they do on the roadside, you know, it gets them enough food, it gives them enough money to get food for the day. And it came out that, you know, a number of those people were Christians. And Ted asked, well, what do they do on, on, on Sunday? You know, they, you know, go to church, what, you know, what happens? And, uh, and, and the man says, yeah, they go to church. Oh, okay, so they have enough that they, no. No. They choose to not eat that day so that they can worship, so that they can come into God's presence. Now, chief of sinners though I be, you know, I, I'm gonna tell you right now, it's pretty obvious that most of us haven't missed too many meals. Probably even less for Jesus' sake. This passage from Philippians, where Paul is talking about these points of pride in his life. These, these are incredible things that you would put on a resume if you were a Jewish leader at the time. He says, all those things that I was so proud of, all those things that, that were so central to my identity, all those things that were so important, I count them all as loss. He says, I count them all as loss because I've experienced something more valuable. Well, what could, what could, be, what could be more valuable than, than my prestige? What could be more valuable than, than my future trajectory? What could be more valuable than my comfort in this life? What could be more valuable than, than you know, my success and all of these other things? And Paul's answer is, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What is the value of knowing Jesus? What is the value of the forgiveness of sins? What, what is the value of eternal life? What would you give to gain Christ? And I'm, I'm, I'm not... I'm not asking these things to guilt you because I, I'm, I'm wrestling with these things inside myself too. It's, it's like, what? I have a nice house. I have a nice life. I'm, I'm comfortable in, in all of these things. You know, 
I had a mentor in college who, who liked to, uh, to say, you know what, guilt works. But in my experience over the years, guilt only works for so long. And in the end, it makes us bitter. And it doesn't give us any joy in our service, in our ministry. But this connection to Jesus, it can do some really incredible things in our lives. To be connected to Jesus, to be found in him. And, and Paul talks about this, you know, that, that this isn't about my own righteousness. Because so much of our life is about performance, isn't it? It's about getting the job done. It's about doing all the right things. And in religious terms, that's, you know, talked about as, you know, keeping the law. You know, and, and so, you know, there is this sense that, that we try to do everything right. And people get this conception in their minds that by doing everything right, that God is somehow going to recognize that. And then, you know, everything is going to be okay. But that's not the message of the scriptures. That's not what Jesus said. It, our relationship with God is not based on our performance. It's not my righteousness that, that connects me to Jesus. But there's a righteousness that comes from the outside. A righteousness that comes to us by faith in Jesus. It's, it's a righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness that's received by faith. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't even see the good stuff that we do. He just sees Jesus. And that's the gift that is given to us. And friends, that's powerful stuff. It's important. Because the wisdom of this world says that if you want to get ahead in life, what you need to do is hedge your bets. We're very careful that we will not suffer all. Right? So, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Anybody heard that one before? Anybody ever talk to their financial advisor? You need to diversify your portfolio. That's, you know what that is? It's hedging your bets. We hedge and in the world, a lot of times, hedging makes sense. In the wisdom of the world, in the way that the world works. But it doesn't work that way with Jesus. But we try to do it. We hedge. So we think, oh, I've got Jesus' forgiveness plus my good life. Oh, I have Jesus' death plus my right politics. And we hedge. I have Jesus' resurrection plus all the hours I volunteered at church. We hedge. We have Jesus' salvation plus my generosity. I visited a woman in the nursing home one time. Um, she was not a member of my church. Uh, I happened to be there visiting a member and uh, one of the nurses grabbed me and said, 
you're a Lutheran pastor, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm a Lutheran pastor. And, and she said, we've got this person, uh, this lady, she's a Lutheran, and she's really upset. She's getting close to the end of her life. Will you come talk to her? Yeah. So I come and I, I, I sit down with her and I talk with her. And she's like, Pastor, why? I just don't understand why. You know, why, why am I suffering so much? Why am I going through all of all this pain? My children don't come to visit me. My body hurts. I want to die. And I'm like, okay, well, we can pray about those things and talk about them. And, 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 uh, and then she goes, I look back at my life and I did so much for God. Why would he let this happen to me? And she talks about the things that she did. You know, she did some very generous things. She built a seminary in Africa, sold her, her farm after her husband died and used the proceeds to do some really, really, truly impressive things financially. And her question then is, why would God let me suffer? And Paul, Paul looks at all the things in his life that were so good, and he says, I count them all as rubbish. All these great accomplishments, all these achievements, they're trash. They belong on the dunghill, literally. That's what it says. And what he's saying to us is bet it all on Jesus. Hold nothing back. Give up everything to get the real treasure. And what is that real treasure? Knowing Jesus. Knowing the power of the resurrection. Doesn't that sound so good? Sharing in his suffering. Wait, what? Becoming like him in his death. That doesn't seem like such a selling point, Pastor. That by any means necessary, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. What does that mean, that I may attain the resurrection of the dead? Let me retranslate that passage for you. I want to know Jesus, the power of his resurrection, so that my my character and attitude are shaped by his death, the one that saved me from sin and death, if only to somehow finish my journey in the resurrection of the dead. That's, that's, That's what all this is about. When sin entered the world, death came with it. But Jesus died for our forgiveness, and he rose to give us everlasting life. This here is literally a matter of death and life. You know, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they were talking about the uh, the. 200,000 people that have died um, related to, uh, to COVID-19. Do you know how many of those people would not have died? Or would not die? Maybe I should put it in a, you know, more of a future tense than a perfect. If not for COVID-19, 200,000 people would not die. Right? It's a matter of timing, maybe. 
everyone dies. Every last one of us. All of you, me, I will die. COVID, cancer, car crash, cardiac arrest. Everyone dies. And that's the order. It's, it's the norm. It's, it's just the way that this, this fallen, broken world works. But the kingdom of God has come. Christ has broken into this world. In him, we have everlasting life. In him, we enter into resurrection. And so, yeah, we share in his suffering. We bear the burden to bring this message that Christ has defeated death by dying for our sins and by rising himself from the dead, the first fruits from the grave, that we might follow him. We bring that message to a world that is steeped in death. And do we, do we have this yet? Do we, do we have the resurrection? Do we, do we walk through this life impervious? No. Our own lives are filled with this sin and this brokenness. And it's so that we can display the life, the salvation, and the hope of resurrection. So that forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what's ahead, that we are living in light of the resurrection that is yet to come. We are living in hope. We're living in the promise rooted in God's love and salvation. We press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, when's that after a stewardship? You have been given the gift of forgiveness. You have been given a new life. You have been given a future. In an age where everyone's concerned about death, you have been given resurrection. What will the priority of that life be focused on? What, what will your heart, your energy, your moments be poured into? The power of the resurrection is at work in you. Live in it. Press on toward the goal. Because you know something that the world doesn't. Christ has died Christ is risen. Christ is coming again. And you will rise along with everyone who believes in him. Amen.